0: The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to Edition and type in Nasty, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free. If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello and welcome to another persistent and nasty podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? Today's episode is all three of us again, which is just gorgeous. Um, And we are joined by the amazing writer Kirsten Innes. And we discuss everything from uh, having small children and the moment of getting really amazing career news to um, the children making a mess on your lap. Uh, That will definitely be covered. Um, We also discuss great statement t-shirts and a great statement earring and um we talk about kirsten's first book which covers sex work and we talk about her current book scabby queen which you can get right now um i am nearly finished and is absolutely brilliant and i encourage every single one of you to go and buy it it is yeah it's so good um a little warning before we start the episode um We do discuss some things that some people might find a little bit um, difficult to hear. We talk about infertility and everything that comes along with that. And that happens about um, 50 minutes into the episode. Um, So just a little heads up there. And uh, yeah, it's a really important conversation and probably the most open I have ever been on this podcast about um, my story of infertility as well. So there we go. Um, also there's a little sound issue about, um, hour in, Kirsten's sound dipped. I've done the best that I could, so just watch in case you're really struggling to hear her and then me and Louise and Misha jump back in and it's super loud. Um, but apart from that, uh, it is another really great episode and uh, we are, we, we want to talk to Kirsten again. Anyway, enough of me rambling on. Um, as always, you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at persistent nasty instagram at persistent and nasty facebook persistent and nasty always send us a wee email to persistent and nasty at gmail.com and also a huge thank you again to all of the all of you who are supporting us by um uh, using the paypal link in the description of the episode we are hugely grateful and um Really, as an organisation that's unfunded and doing the work that we are doing, you have no idea how much um, that is just encouraging us to keep going and being able to help us keep going. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And we know how difficult it is right now and things are tough. So please know how grateful we are. And again, enough of me rambling on and let's get started, shall we? So get yourself a wee cup of tea, sit back, relax and enjoy. So your t-shirt, Kirsten, says fuck. It oh. says tuck frump. Oh, tuck frump. Tuck. A glasses <laughs> <one>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a glass of wine.
1: It's so much more, um, yeah, it's a child-friendly
0: uh, political t-shirt, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really so up welcome to that. Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Thank it you. is so lovely to have you. We are so very excited. And it's all three of us again today. Woohoo! Aww. Although Louise is just frozen, so we'll keep going until she comes back in, but that's all good. How are you, Kirsten? I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you can be as honest as you want on this podcast. <laughs>
2: Say it like oh, it is. If it's I'm a shite fine. day, it's a shite day. Do you know what? It's, it's not a terrible day, but um, it's my birthday, a big birthday at the end of the month. And I had all these sort of socially distanced plans and they've all just dropped like flies today. Uh, none of them are possible anymore. I was going to have a whole week with small celebrations and not even that. So, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where I am so this is this is making me feel much better today it's nice to see oh, all your faces good and
0: um I kind of think if you have a birthday this year it doesn't count anyway totally because yeah. my I've birthday been, was yeah. right at the start of lockdown and I'm like nope I didn't age nope. not aging, <laughs> <laughs> not aging. <laughs>
1: not moving up <laughs> <laughs> yeah you get to carry this one forward i think that's, so that's what i the, think
2: that's, the that's yeah. excellent it's 40 so i'm quite happy to to keep yeah. that
0: one
1: in a box keep for it, a
0: while yeah keep it keep it till next year yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: i'm 40 next year and i'm like um no i'm not i'm 39 next nice. year <laughs> this is not happening <laughs> 40 what the fuck am I doing with my life fuck <laughs> anyway <laughs> while I have an existential crisis yeah. let's focus on our guest <laughs> love that we're all drinking tea as well um so Kirsten I am our listeners I'm sure are aware of who you are but if not if you could give us a little potted history of you that would be amazing
2: um I am um... I write books. That's what I do now. <laughs> um, I, I, my first book, Fishnet, came out in 2015. Uh, my most recent one, Scabby Queen, has just come out at the end of June, July? July? July. Um, yeah. And sorry, 2020. Sorry. Exactly, 2020. <laughs> it doesn't, don't worry about it. <laughs>
3: That's it. It doesn't count. Yep.
2: Um, I used to I used to be an arts journalist. Um, I also used to work for um a lot of arts companies. Um, I've been writing for years and years and years, and just in the last four months, I've been able to actually call myself a full time writer. I don't know if that's going to last, but right now I am. Yes, it
0: is. You are. You're (laughs) a writer.
2: (laughs) And I'm also mega chuffed to to be invited on. So
1: (laughs) mega chuffed to have you.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So
0: Scabby Queen, which is your most recent book, I have, I'm not finished. I, I am in the process of reading and loving. You. Absolutely loving. Thank you. Because like, yeah, yes. How, because you've had amazing reaction to the book. Yeah, yeah, that, that's been
2: nice. <laughs> that's been very, very nice. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, it all started off. Before. Um, Nicola Sturgeon sliding into my DMs to tell me oh. that she was reading it and loving it um and from from there yeah it's just it's just been I can't quite believe it actually because I wrote it in a bit of a blur um in and around um IVF pregnancy um working baby to toddler a second pregnancy um so I just wrote it in lots of little bits as soon as I typed the end I basically sent it off to my agent and I haven't done that much redrafting on it since so I have no bloody idea how this thing has happened and but it becomes something that people are actually liking so yeah there we go wow I mean it was
0: um I think my first uh, thing that I saw about it was Nicola Sturgeon tweeting when she mm-hmm. had uh, when she'd finished it and I was just like yes I love that she <laughs> slid into your DMs she totally did. <laughs> Nicola It was very She's cool
3: one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We can't slide into her DMs though yeah. <laughs> Which is unfortunate because we'd
1: be all over that like, Come on Annie <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: yeah. Nicola, come on the podcast
0: know, <laughs> That would be good um, So do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about Scabby Queen What it's about, obviously without sure. giving too much away
2: sure it's um the way I've been telling like the, the wee elevatory pitch um which has only evolved after it was already published so it wasn't really a pitch is um that it's uh it's the story of five decades the last five decades as one woman loved them um and my uh, my protagonist is called Cleo Campbell, and she was a one-hit wonder when she was in her early twenties um, with a, an anti-pol song. She's um, she's been a, she's a political activist. Um, the book starts with her uh, taking her own life, or, her her um, dying by suicide, and then after that, it's kind of people who knew her, um, kind of piecing together her life story. Um, so you, the reader, kind of pieces together a life story out of order. Um, from the points of view of people who were in her life and she's a very kind of intense, charismatic person who has a lot of intense, short relationships and so, yeah, it kind of, um, it sort of um, builds up from from that little, little stages um, and I was interested in seeing how much of a an idea of one person's life you could kind of convey in the round so, yeah, that's where that came from. What
0: I find totally fascinating was... Um... I'm brilliant was within the first kind of couple of pages you have an idea of who she is already mm-hmm. like just your little drops in of like her relationships and this isn't um a, me giving anything away but like you know her relationships with her 20 year olds and all of that I was like mm-hmm. oh this is <laughs> I was like okay I I can see I can see where I can see I can imagine Cleo I've got her <laughs> in my mind <laughs> which I just really love because there's something I think that draws well, it draws me anyway as a reader mm-hmm. because I'm dyslexic, so reading isn't always my thing. I've had to work at that really, really hard, like that's been years of like trying. Uh, and I love reading actually now. Um, but yeah, like straight away when I get information because it is so visual for me, I find it really visual straight away. And I was like, Oh, yay! <laughs> Misha's making a funny face, the listeners can't see it because she can't hear anything. Do you need to leave and come back, Misha?
3: No, sorry, I've. I, I can hear now but only through my computer so i'm just i'm working out as i go along and then i'll be back in to hear i'm so sorry um it's all sorry. right it's the, 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 the it's the, the zoom time. thing hmm. and i got a, it was as literally as louise's buzzer went my phone rang and then my earphones cut me out and so i'm so sorry i was trying not to disturb no
1: it's all <laughs> kicking off i'm so sorry
3: continue oh. on and i will sort my shit out <laughs> <laughs> silently <laughs> Well when did you
0: start, when was the, like the, you said the kind of book was written during IVF
2: pregnancy, how yeah. many years ago was that? Um, I started it in 2015 um, but then I had a baby in 2016 so I didn't do anything in 2016 um, and then I did most of it 2017 and 2018 um, in and around having a toddler um, and finished it two weeks before my second child was born. So yeah, it's just. I mean, I think that's why it's got. I mean, it's got a lot of narrators. I was phoning up my agent throughout it and just being like, I think I've got like fifteen narrators now, and then next week I've got like twenty narrators now, Um, and I think he was kind of panicking again. I can't believe it all holds together, Um, but that's. It seemed like the easiest way to do it was just doing wee bits, um, whenever I could, and coming up with a new voice each time and th- so they're all sort of each narrator's story is kind of self-contained and then as they sort of enter Cleo's orbit and, and leave it again so yeah.
3: Is there ever crossover with the narrators like do they kind of come in and out? <gasps> yeah I love
2: it. yeah I, lo- I, I love that sort of thing as well so I've always been drawn to these kind of um Uh, multi-narrative, multi-narrator stories where there's lots of levels and you see people from different sides. So, yeah, one of of the main guys, um, you've been inside his head for a while and then you see him from um, a different character's point of view and it's a very sort of, um, yeah, kind of (laughs) puts him in his place a wee bit sort of thing.
3: I always think it's a really interesting uh, concept that if you met yourself, you wouldn't recognise yourself. Yeah. because of like the way that you see yourself in the mirror and like what you think and I just I love that in writing when you see different like kind of versions of characters
2: yeah well that's that was sort of the original that was the concept of the whole thing was just kind of um approaching I was thinking about do you remember those old those hideous trolls Trini and Susanna and they used to put these poor women in the 360 degree mirror um to so look at themselves. Well, I was thinking about that when I was writing it, but trying to pick together a 360-degree picture of one person, um, because you never hear from her directly. Um, but yeah, so all the other characters kind of comment on her and on each other as well. And everybody's got a different take. So yeah, it's all it's all about very subjective stuff.
3: I love it. Is it the kind of book that you would want to then do another kind of one which was totally her opinion on everything? Or do you think that's part of the
2: <laughs> I think she'd be kind of a nightmare, to be honest. She, yeah, my my first book is just from more or less from one character's point of view and first person, and I found her quite. She was quite an unpleasant character, and it was quite a tiring thing to be inside her head for that mm. sustained period of time. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm quite happy. I'm not I'm not a sequel writer as yet. I don't know. I I find like when I get to the end, that's it, and the world is kind of hermetically sealed back up again so, yeah
3: and do your books have like similar worlds between the two of them or are they like quite distinct like different like you know how if um there are some like I suppose I guess I'm thinking in like film and tv and when directors or writers have different like series or, that are in the same kind of world mm-hmm. has it got that kind of element between your books or do you feel like they are separate
2: they're both I mean they're both set in contemporary scotland or well scabby queen set all over the place actually but much of it is in contemporary scotland um and it's in glasgow um but yeah i don't know they they could there's nothing stopping them from existing in in the same world um what was because cleo is a pop star at one point i found it i had quite a lot of fun giving real life celebrities little walk-ons in the book as well so like various scottish pop stars and then she goes down to london and camden at the time Britpop, pop and um yeah um so yeah that was that was a bit of fun um tommy sheridan has a walk on at one point um
3: (laughs) i'm so excited to read it and part of me was like cram it all read it before the podcast and the other part was like actually i quite i'd quite like to like see what you say and then read it and be like (sighs) (laughs) oh sorry I was just gonna say have you got other um (laughs) (laughs) I can hear what's going on I'm like you know I'm I'm here I'm in it (laughs) I was gonna ask if you had another story in mind do you kind of feel like your book inspiration just comes to you at random points or do you have more of a kind of you've got ideas in the pipeline and it's just about the right time to pull them together
2: Mm, bit of both. Um, I was last year, I started writing an apocalypse novel. Um, I, I might just wait <laughs> for a
3: bit. That. Did you mind no, a <laughs> 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 What Kirsten oh, writes comes true. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's all your fault, Kirsten. <laughs> what? <laughs> It was it was a wee bit of a different apocalypse, but still, yeah, a plague of snails was starting and and rain. But yeah, I I got to I used a wee bit of it in a short story for radio for um at the start of lockdown. Um, but yeah, I might hold off on that one. Um, I've got a little idea brewing, but I'm not sure what it is yet. I usually, um, it starts with always starts with a wee tiny, interpersonal, reaction where I find like I've learned something else about how, somebody's brain works. And then I have to take that away and make it totally different. So the person who gave me the original idea will never, ever recognise themselves. Um, so I've got, I've, something's happened recently that I'm just kind of burrowing away at what that could be just now, but I've, I've got no idea what sort of form it's going to come in. Um, but I have got a bit of commissioned work to do just now. So I'm writing a, a play for the National Theatre Scotland. Which <gasps> It's great, yeah, but it's, I don't know when it's going to happen. It's the its the least COVID, or the most, if you're the COVID virus, it's the most COVID-friendly play ever. It's the least COVID-friendly. Um, it's about Scottish country dancing, and the idea was that it would happen in big halls all over the country, and people would come in and be met by a PE teacher who would shove them to one side or the other up benches, and everybody would have to dance with each other all the time. I just don't know. Oh, going for that for the next five years or something. That one's actually... That
0: was one of those things, wasn't it? At school, obviously, if you went to school in Scotland, like, you hit, like, P6. Yeah. And it was, you know, Kaylee dancing, here we go. You've got, like, eight weeks of gym classes. not gym. It's now into Dashing White Sargent. Yep. Kay Gordons.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. Did it normally happen in the
1: lead-up to Christmas? I feel yeah. like that was, yeah, yeah that's but, what happened, wasn't it? it was I have it such a vivid memory of, uh, like... <laughs> a boy in in, in my school coming up to to dance with me but he pulled his sleeve right down over his hand like
2: (laughs) (laughs) everybody says that I've actually got a mention of that and because um it started off I was just um this was I I was doing it around about like 2008 um I was doing a lot of stand-up literature it's not even a thing anymore I don't know um at spoken word nights and um a lot of music festivals had literature tents and I would get up there in my wedding yeah. and my mini dress and do this Scottish country dancing bit that was just based on teenagers. <laughs> 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 and um, folk, would, folk would start coming up and telling me all their stories as well. And I thought it's such a formative thing yeah. for everybody. It, really is. it seemed like I wanted to investigate it. And then um, I found a book in a charity shop which was a country dance, Scottish Country Dancing manual, the Royal Scottish Country Dancing Society manual, written by this amazing woman who basically single-handedly saved Scottish country dancing. <laughs> um, she was also like a total dictator. Um, like she she writes like a real-life Miss Jean Brody, so she's a total gift <laughs> for me. And um, so she's kind of become the lead character in this play, yeah. and then it's gonna zoom about. The past 300 years and oh
1: that sounds fantastic you know but yeah
2: who knows what is going to happen but that's that's the main that's actually quite far underway we've got a director and a choreographer and we're talking about casting it but you know again who knows who knows when <laughs> it'll happen oh yeah.
1: that's so tragic um I just think it's, yeah, that's that's just going to be entirely universal for any Scottish person of a certain age going to see it. Do they still do it, by the way? That's my question. Yes, they do. do they still have it? Yeah. yeah,
2: they still do it.
1: Yeah, it's just funny. It's like enforced socialisation, really, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. right, we're going to put you in a room and you're going to dance together and you're going to get over this. Yes. Hold each other's hands.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got my foot broken um, at a wedding teaching an English woman how to um, do the Gay gardens. <laughs> it's dangerous stuff yeah they're, they're, like the groom's family was scottish and the bride lived in scotland for years mm-hmm. and um so they had like a kind of 20 minute kaylee bit like as a lot as a lot of people tend to do like we did it when we got married and um so i'm like she's still got her high heels on but i'd take my shoes off by this point point. and um i'm like shouting at her one two three turn and then she didn't turn in time because the music was so loud and her high heel went on the top of my foot like smack right down but I was so drunk because you know Scottish mm-hmm. people at a wedding you know um, that I was just like oh that's a sore one ow ow <laughs> ow went over to the table and actually the indent of her heel was my <laughs> foot I was like, it's fine, i put some ice on it We'll drink through it, it'll be fine Shots, 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 shots um, Went to my bed I was sharing a room with my friend Jen Went to my bed and I was like, my foot is a bit sore Woke up the next morning My foot was honestly like twice the size Couldn't get it in my trainer Even when I undid it all like. And then I phoned my mum, my mum's a nurse I, her. I was like, mum, when I got home And um, she's like, I think you maybe have to go to a and And I was like, no it'll be fine it'll be fine she's like no I think you have to probably go so I went and I told them what's happened and you could still see the mark of the heel and uh, yeah i um, the top of my foot was broken <laughs>
2: So Kaylee dancing is dangerous, people. Be ready. Yeah, I've I've got a I've I've got a Warbin section. I might actually I might have a chat with you later and use that. You can have I've got it. War I'll give section it a like everybody it. lists off their, their injury.
0: <laughs> I totally give you that one. I was just
3: thinking of which which of my Kaylee stories am I might like to share. And then I thought <laughs> Do we need to share more Kaylee stories that are all just gonna be like same thing? <laughs> I just love
1: I love that so everyone has them.
0: Mm-hmm. and uh,
1: And I love that you've got that in as a sort of like category to address in the play of like, yep. like, <laughs> like injuries and scars and both emotional and physical from uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> my stepdad is like, such an aggressive like swirler he my my stepdad's five foot six, mm-hmm. and I don't know how he does it but when when you whirl with him in the Kaylee, you lift off and i'm I'm definitely like I'm more built than he is and I tell like I don't know if it's just because he's closer to the ground and it's that like <laughs> it, I just so fast so he's like a whirling dervish on the on the dance floor
2: it's actually if you're doing a like a strip the willow those are the the, the guys that you kind of sometimes look out for aren't you you're like oh yeah yeah right I'm gonna get that one and we're gonna just basically orbit I <laughs>
0: Dash and White Sergeant was always my favourite because you spin for the eight and back for the eight. And I used to be like, when we were doing it at school, I'd be like, just go for it, everybody, go for it, go for it, let's go as fast as we can. <laughs> I was off
3: the ground. <laughs>
0: Ah, and the, the, our listeners in uh, international that,
3: uh, international listeners,
0: check out some gaily dancing. Yeah, <laughs> in ten years' time, when the, the virus is back. when it's toured internationally. Yeah, mm-hmm,
3: exactly. I'm I'm really grateful because literally the weekend before we all went into lockdown, I'd been up in Inverness and. That like my last night out Was a night out in Inverness And we got the entire place Kaylee dancing And I Aww. had like two, These like two Dutch guys Who were like absolutely Not interested They were up doing the Gay Gordons And I think actually they were better than me in the end Because I was <laughs> Stephen drunk just desperate to get the whole place Kaylee dancing And I'm really grateful that I got One last Kaylee dance before shutdown Oh <laughs> Single <laughs> tear <laughs>
0: I'm really interested in your process of writing when you have children all and your tweet yesterday literally made me laugh out loud. I actually think I was spat my tea out when I
2: uh, read it uh, that would be the um oh yeah i had I had an amazing amazing work email that I'm not allowed to say anything about yet um. Uh, and I was just feeling like, this is, this is awesome, this is so exciting, I'm, this is me, this is that kid, we're in the big time. And then, yeah, my two-year-old um, was just running around naked after his bath, and he came and he gave me a big cuddle, and I was like, oh, hi, darling, and I was just like, yeah, it's all great, it's so great. Seriously. <laughs> like, I mean, first he, first he had this beautiful, adoring smile on his face, and he put his arms around my neck, and he looked up at me, and then he just went, Ugh. and yeah, a big shit." all over my lap um yeah so that that's the it's that really... just keeping you humble Kirsten that's yep. all that's all yes yep yep it was it was it was just a wonderful I think I said it's, it's just like a perfect distillation of the experience of having had a book out during <laughs> lockdown with 205 <laughs> and um i like
0: that is some work
2: yeah yeah I've done I've done one bookshop visit um in the in the whole time and that's the only thing about this book that hasn't happened within the confines of my computer screen or my phone screen or anything so it was weird to kind of realize that it was actually out there and people were reading it and yeah yeah um I don't know how you write with two small children in the house all the time you just do it you just do it Kind of. Yeah. My my partner's a, a writer as well. Um and if either of us have had deadlines for the whole of lockdown, we've been basically um one of us would just have to take the kids out to the woods for about four hours. Um and then we thought everything was was kind of coming back to normal, the big ones in nursery, the wee one we had a childminder for and he really liked her. And then on Tuesday, um his childminder phoned me she's like, I'm so sorry. Um one of the teachers in my son's class has tested positive we have to self-isolate for two weeks and it's just like right back to the the start again it's just our house isn't big enough to get distance from them to get space to write so yeah usually usually it's just it's actually really good about being kind of um, it, it kind of forces you to be really kind of disciplined. You're like, I have three hours. I am going to make this three hours count. I am going to. I mean, when I was writing Scabby Queen, I just that one just kind of poured out of me. Though, Anytime time I had to write, I was doing it and feeling quite chuffed about it. But yeah, it's it's been a bit harder with two and lockdown. So, yeah, it sounds like you've got a good tag team on the
1: go though, which is sounds pretty vital. We do. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. I mean, I think. Everybody's always like, oh, two two writers in a relationship. How does that work?" I'm like, well, we've been together for fourteen years now. It's honestly like, God, at one point, the Radio Scotland invited us on a show to um, talk about um, dis- discuss a book about rival tennis players in a relationship, and like, they basically were wanting us to say that we were always jealous of each other and kind of, but yeah, you just. <laughs> It's nowhere near as dramatic as anyone thinks. We just kind of make space for each other to do it.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of actors get that as well.
0: Like actor mm-hmm. couples get that kind of question of how do you manage um, to do it? Yeah, it's really, well, it's just like if you were, if you were two teachers, it would be the same thing. Yeah. Like it's if one of you got doctors, promoted, what are you going to be yeah. raging? <laughs> like, <you know? laughs>
3: yeah. Two engineers, two doctors. Yeah. Why is it because it's a creative thing? It mm-hmm. needs to be a competitive thing.
1: Yeah, I actually feel I feel more sorry for um, civilians and in inverted commas going out with actors. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, like, like and who wants to deal with that shit? Like
2: we're all mental. Um, hard degree As somebody who spent a lot of my twenties involved with actors,
1: there you go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and avoiding them. Thank
1: you. <laughs> um, I would like to jump back to your first book if that's okay kirsten because mm-hmm. i have a question um i'm really uh fascinated about the process you went through for writing that because you mentioned something earlier like um about you get how you get an idea in your head based on an interaction that changes perspective mm-hmm. either yours or indeed um how you, you channel that through your character and um fishnet being all about um sex work and uh perceived notions of prostitution and that and i read i, read, I think i read an interview, or an article. Um, we, with you um where you were commenting on how that writing that book took you on a journey in terms of your interpretation and perspective and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about that because um, I'm fascinated in in our culture and the way it demonizes sex work and um all of that so I'd love to hear about that
2: yeah um i uh, right I'm just gonna <laughs> zoom back ten years in my head now sorry big um... <laughs> <laughs> no no it's good. um i i um, yeah, with Fishnet, I, um, I started out, um, I was interested in writing something about sex work um, and I think it was, I'd written, I'd watched the, um, the BBC series, I think it was called Six Daughters, about the, um, the series of sex worker murders, it was a dramatisation, um, my brain's like Swiss cheese after five months locked in a house with two tiny children yeah. um covid brain it's definitely COVID happening. brain for sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway there was this bbc tv series and it was a dramatization and uh, of, of real life events and um so i've been kind of motivated i thought i want to investigate this more um and i was working i was working at the list magazine at the time and my editor wanted me to write a sex feature um and i came back I found this, I just did some Googling and found a blogging, a sex worker who blogged an escort in Edinburgh. And um, I was really kind of, I mean, thinking about it now, um, what I'm talking about when I talk about that is me kind of waking the fuck up about it because I had had the same assumptions that I suspect a lot of people who don't know any sex workers or haven't really looked into it do. And that's because we're, there's very limited kind of just depictions of sex workers in media. Um, the reason I called the book fishnet was because it's it's the classic stock image in any story about sex work whatsoever is a pair of fishnet tights and some thighs up an alleyway, um, and um, yeah. So it was it was kind of the just this woman's voice really kind of woke me up to the reality of these being actual thinking human beings. Um, and it is the the book's about escorts, it's about um mostly independent escorts. Um but it's not in a kind of you know, there's there's either that sort of there, there's there's the sort of the piss picture of um um poor women in an alleyway um desperate, or there's um, <sighs> secret diary of a call girl kind of glitzy glamour. There's there's nothing in between, and it was the actual the middle ground, the very boring I should stop using the word boring when I'm talking about my own books um the very boring kind of um day-to-day life of uh, you know just getting to the fact that they are actual human beings (laughs) who have thoughts I I mean I I did a lot of interviewing um for this one I met a lot of um women who worked as escorts um and the first woman i would met um who became a pal of mine Laura and um, she basically kind of stared me down and was like are you are you pitying me right now um you know and just kind of totally it was just about kind of just re-evaluating how I thought but I went I mean that book took me five years to write I researched it for years um and was researching as I was writing and I had no idea which way it was gonna go because my own ideas about what sex work was and wasn't or flip-flopping all over the place all the way through i started off from a very a very preconceived we must save these women kind of idea um and i think where i got to by the end was just how about we listen to them and you know take on board what they're saying rather than rather than anything else so it was it was just yeah that series of we we human interactions there that kind of Made that up. Really sorry. I'm going to have to jump in. See your
0: headphones. Yeah, (laughs) technical issues. Um, They're hitting off. I think maybe off your earrings. Can you? Would you mind just taking them out? Because I think it'll be just unplug your. No, not your earrings. Your your headphones. (laughs) Because your earrings are fabulous. Don't ruin the aesthetic.
2: Well, I, like, I like that, that it's, it's the, the headphones that have to go rather than the earrings. So sorry,
0: was that just like banging it? It just it, it happens to me all the time because I'm a big fan of an earring and I don't have a, any in today. And I noticed yours and I was like, they are so pretty. Um, <laughs> hi, feminist. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and i just, it happens to me all the time. I start to notice that it's just the earrings banging. So it's just because everything that you're saying is so important. So I just, sorry, I just had to interrupt you there about that. Um,
2: um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy being asked to take off other things rather than hearing something. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's important. These are the priorities.
2: I think it's a
3: really
0: fascinating conversation, wasn't it? Especially when somebody like really challenges your opinion as well, like stares you in the eyes and asks you if you're pitying them. That's like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. For me, the whole process of writing that book, and I had a whole the whole of twenty thirteen. I had a whole year-long crisis of confidence on it where I was like there is no way I have the right to tell these stories I'm just ignoring the whole thing there's no book even though I'd written 80,000 words of it by that point um uh yeah and my, my partner very gently pointed out that I'd interviewed a lot of people who had agreed to do interviews with me based on the understanding that I was going to try and publish a book that sort of told a more reasonable version uh not reasonable and um, realistic, desensationalised, I think is the word I'm looking for. Just desensationalising it. Like Laura, um Laura always said, people don't understand that we're, you know, I go to the supermarket and I have pets and I fight with my teenager and, and this sort of thing. Uh, you know, just just like you. It's not it's just and I just think that's important to kind of you can't really I don't see how you can effectively legislate for a group of people if you're pitying them but not listening to their voices as well. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's when people ask me what my perspective or position on sex work is and how I just sort of generally say that, a version of that rather than yeah, just listen to what sex workers want and try and do that.
3: It's making a judgment based on your bias instead of allowing your opinion to be changed and just presuming that because you've already made that decision, that's it.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah and i think um choice active agency and choice gets removed from the conversation around this all the time um and there is absolutely um a a facet of sex work and prostitution that um is rooted in desperation that is that does exist and the appropriate um legislation needs to be put in place but that like you say kirsten that legislation has to be informed by the voices in that world and and the legislation that exists at the moment criminalizes the, the the sex workers and puts them in direct danger and and then further up, along the spectrum you get people for whom it is an active choice i mean i've had people who have orbited in and out my life who have been sex workers by choice and um and there's a lot of uh you know activism work that they do around consent and agency and and, and uh, demystifying sex and sex positivity and and trying to change the cultural narrative around that because it's it's sex is an embedded thing prostitution will never go away it's one of those things that it will always exist um so yeah i think it's i think it's really fascinating and i think uh, i think you did a good thing by by sharing these voices through your writing
0: um you did a,
3: made an important
0: contribution absolutely it's the oldest profession in the world for a reason yeah,
2: yeah there's um and it just it just seems so uh, the thing I get frustrated with in, in the discourse about it is people who think they're gonna you know by putting a sort of sweeping cure on they're mm-hmm. they're gonna magically wipe it away from the world and um you know uh, you can't when there are so many individuals' lives involved and these are individuals who do not exist necessarily within a system they they you know it's not it's not actually an industry you know with regulation and um you know it's it's and a union yeah, yeah
3: yeah
2: um it's it's kind of when there are so many individuals each of whom has completely different circumstances involved you can't just come along and say i'm going to magic this away and and these sort of bigger picture ideas tend to come from people who don't want to live in a world where they obviously men can buy women as well which a lot of the sex workers who have spoken to say so, well we don't sell our bodies you know we, we sell our sexual services um for a start um but just the idea that you could sweep away sweep it all away by putting in place legislation that will put individual people in very desperate circumstances and, and make them even more vulnerable there seems there's there's a certain discourse where it's never formally said, but that seems to be acceptable collateral, you know, um in order to to get rid of it. For you know, rather than just generally accepting it is going to be there, we have to make things as listen just listen, by listening to the sex workers and t- um, when they tell you what they want, um rather than you know, in, in Sweden I think there's there's legislation where I mean I'm, I might be a few years behind because I haven't I'm not totally up to date on it at the moment I was really when when I was kind of writing uh, fishnet out and for the few years afterwards I was really really well informed on that but certainly when I was writing fishnet in Sweden there was legislation where um sex working women were considered to have kind of diminished mental facilities and not be able to take um decisions you know of, of their own they would have their children taken away from them and put in foster if they were you know this this kind of yeah that that sort of (laughs) second thing yeah I mean
0: nobody can see our faces but the three of us are just like stunned by that Mm -hmm. and enraged um I think I I find it really fascinating the whole conversation around sex workers is because it always I think and I could be wrong but I think most people's initial image they have in their head is always a female Mm -hmm and um, obviously there are male sex workers and they never seem to uh, you know there's always the even their words that they get used for them are always a little bit nicer you know the gigolo and all of that it's almost it's softened and it's so clearly ingrained within our society and within the patriarchy let's call it Mm -hmm. because it is within the patriarchy that it's um that it makes us quote-unquote dirty mm-hmm. well, it's undesirables different. and all of that and that's not the case
2: mm-hmm. it's it's the whole thing's underpinned by this idea that um women don't really like sex and men do and mm-hmm. you know because, yeah and I'm, I'm, i don't want to again I don't, I'm, i've got to be so careful when i'm on this issue that i don't want to oversimplify and say that you know that sex workers do like sex a lot of them don't and a lot of them you know even though they are a lot of the the women I spoke to um and I did just speak to women that that's the other thing you just kind of realize how huge it is um so I had to really kind of limit down and just go for independent escorts basically because they were the people who I could get to talk to me I could, mm-hmm. um I could meet them I could on their own terms um but sorry i've lost where i was going there um yeah it's this idea that women don't like sex but a lot a lot of the women i um i spoke to wouldn't call themselves sex positive but at mm. the same time they would still you know very much be in favor of you know legislating for sex yeah. workers um, yeah. yeah but you but i think like
0: without even talking about it in the um, within sex worker realm it's that thing of as you said it is this myth that women don't enjoy sex Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: so uh that is already there and men do so that's
2: filtered into us from such a young age
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, even if you get that you think about um the, the ways that I'll, I'll give you a fictional news story, but I'm sure I've kind of had precedence before of it, where um you've got, a fif- say you've got a 15-year-old, a 15-year-old boy who has an affair with his teacher, female teacher, or a 15-year-old girl who has an affair. Is it an affair even? Is it, you know, who is sexually preyed on by a teacher. And the, you know, the abuse of power is the same in both cases, but the way that both will be treated are completely different in terms of... Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah it's all like the myth of women not enjoying sex and all of the sort of nuanced complexities that have arisen in this conversation are all rooted in for me it's a patriarchal power play because you can't demystify the myth of women not enjoying or enjoying sex without giving them sexual and physical agency and acknowledging that and uh, and it's the patriarchal narrative is that women have to be in a certain box and if they if they like sex too much they're a slut if they don't like it they're prude like there's no there's very little middle ground and it's all wrapped up in a patriarchal power bow of like this is this is their tactics their tactics to sort of keep us subservient and um and again that's why it feels so hard for any legislation to particularly in, in, in anywhere where there's a sort of predominantly conservative government or or um society it's like you you just can't see people talking about it openly in a way that would be like for people to go oh, yeah that, yeah cool yeah yeah i'm on board it would just be like yeah it's i haven't concluded that thought very succinctly but <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean you know i'm sure you don't get that there's a lot of nodding from all mm. you <laughs> yes. yeah.
2: it's, getting a, like, it's just, getting a bit big it's
1: getting
2: a bit big for me it, like, oh,
0: just, no, to, just to lighten the um chat um, for everybody during COVID times, looking after your mental health is super important. But also, guys, remember to masturbate.
1: <laughs> yes, the sex toy industry must be booming right
0: now. I tell you what, get those endorphins going any way you can, people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Any way you can. Top tip: Make sure you have backup batteries in your bedside drawer, because like,
0: or get one that you don't need batteries for, and you can just USB plug. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs>
2: Uh, Just, yeah, like industries be doing very well
1: there. <laughs> I'm uh, sure to reaffirm are. that uh, women do talk about sex at length. <laughs> 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 yeah. No pun intended.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes, oh true. dear! This is true. <laughs> um, um, I was actually going to ask. Kirsten about this now I'm a bit like oh we've just talked about masturbating and I'm like is this society going to lean? you can't go from masturbating to IVF but um <laughs> you can because <laughs> <You can, laughs> it's a big part of it so yes. um as a fellow IVF uh, sister uh do you want to talk about it do you not
2: as you no, to no. it? yeah I totally I totally do um yeah it took us uh five years to have our first kids um we were actually god we watched an episode of i don't know if anybody i went back to friends for a while at the beginning of lockdown and then i seconded myself with friends and yeah um but we we accidentally watched a, a monica and chandler infertility issue and realized oh right that was actually what we had as well so um i have endometriosis and my partner had um uh sluggish sperm issues. I can't even remember half the terminology now. So yeah, five uh, five years, three rounds of IVF uh two pregnancy losses. Um the my, my first kid was originally a twin um and lost the, the twin as well. Um yeah um yeah that was that was an interesting thing. Do you know I was, I was saying this to somebody else another fellow IVF for the other day it was like being in a holding pen for five years where you could not plan the future at All we couldn't sort of, you know, basically turn 31, and I was like, The time has come, the babies will happen. And I have been so good about contraception my whole adult life because I had a mum who worked in sexual health services and used to leave me these terrifying pamphlets on my bed. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I ditched it, assuming I would be pregnant that first week. Um, yeah, and uh, this was not the case, and um, yeah it's just it was like being in a holding time where you were completely unable to plan the future at all we didn't want to spend money on holidays or you know or take it because we're both freelancers as well take on longer you know jobs or did we need to um and it feels like that a bit now again where we're completely unable to plan the future you can't I mean who knows what the next few years are going to be like um but then I realized as well that that's a very privileged thing that You know, a lot of people don't have the chance to plan or make plans for sort of the future anyway. So, you know, get me getting another (laughs) cosmic slap down. Um, But yeah, the other thing was that we were pretty much convinced, having been told by three doctors, that we were not really able to naturally conceive. So we did not think that we needed contraception and um, then got pregnant. Um and I don't know if you feel that, but I I kind of felt like that was a betrayal of my identity as an infertile woman as <laughs> well. No, I don't know. Because people are always telling you, oh, you just need to relax. Yeah. Do you know what you, you just need to stop thinking about it? Just relax. Stop trying so hard. You'll be fine. Um, which was bollocks But um yeah. Come the second time around. I have no idea how how that happened. Um, didn't find out until we were kind of eight weeks gone and um yeah, that was uh a lot of we were pretty much committed to being a one child family. So yeah. <laughs> that was a, a lot of a lot of rescheduling scheduling again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like uh what? Mm-hmm. Well, I can understand that that um
0: you know you take there's something about moving forward with it of you taking on board that's what you you who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and then all of a sudden your body does what you've been expecting it to do for so yeah. long mm-hmm. um that's quite common though I hate I also hate that because that's what people tell you oh well, once you get through IVF once and it works you'll get yeah. pregnant naturally well that does happen but it also doesn't happen and it's almost like so I can understand that because then it's like those people are minimizing the people that that doesn't happen for
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it's amazing that it happened um yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know for you. So um, for me, uh, we've done uh, two rounds, and we were supposed to go again at the end of May. But obviously, that's that's not happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. I'm kind of okay. But I'm also I've also got endometriosis, so so double sister. Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I've had terrible flares the last. While and it's um, starting to really make me reconsider where I'm at with it all, which is huge and scary because we've been married for 10 years and we've been trying for pretty much eight and a
2: half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to that not be what's happening anymore is yeah. And yeah. losses and all of that, and it's a, yeah,
0: it's a bit, it's a, it's a big change. And I'm going to be forty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm like, I've only got one more go on NHS, and I need to get it in before I'm forty. i <laughs> I'm Like, uh, hello. Also, I've put on a quarantine weight. Hi there. Let's <laughs> go
3: back on the diet. <laughs> the, the amount of things that
2: they, yeah. Do Do you know one of the things that I find really, really weird as well is that um. It's immediately treated as a. They, they didn't find out about the endometriosis till quite a few years in for us, um, and I kept saying, "I think I have it." I mean, it's it's shockingly under researched. But the other thing I find weird, I don't know about you as well, is that as soon as you enter the NHS um, infertility um, mechanisms, you are the patient. The woman is the patient. The man is not the patient. Even though, um, like I said, for for a while they didn't know about the endometriosis and the only thing that we had wrong was that my partner had slow um slow sperm what's the official term slow sperm yeah i mean that's what i would say i can't there is an official
0: thing for it but i would go slow sperm which apparently most men nowadays have because of the way that we live our lives
2: yeah 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 good there is a huge industry out there as well that will take advantage of people's um desperation and um, the amount of things that we spent money on I mean God, by the time we came around to our third round, um my partner was on we were on special diets my partner was on um these pills that I had found from Germany that cost 50 pounds for a month supply um and I was making him put there were these they were called snowballs. um they were yeah pants
0: I've heard, yeah I've heard I've heard of them
2: Yeah, ice, uh, ice pants you keep the ice inserts in the freezer and then just pop them pop them down um yeah it, there's there's just so much out there that has been designed to take advantage and not enough information I don't know about you but I mean I kind of I find forums the IVF the fertility forums really kind of like a lifeline because there you can actually talk to people who are going through it themselves as opposed to people who just want to oh god I mean the first time I had a a miscarriage um one of my friends who had two children and I don't know why she thought this was comforting she said at least you know you can get pregnant
3: yeah yeah that Oh, dear. oh but, uh, Well, that's good. You got pregnant. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And we've actually got pregnant naturally a couple of times, but it's ne- nothing's ever stayed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, oh well, maybe you don't need to do IVF.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. People who people who do not have everybody wants to say something to fill the void, and um, so yeah, the reason I I, I kind of want to talk about it as much as I can actually just to sort of particularly to the parents who I know who have never had any any issues just to say guys there are things you should not be saying you should not be saying I mean 100% not asking anybody so when are you going to have children then um I mean the amount of times that we went away and just had kind of quiet sobs about that after being kind of harangued at parties about that sort of thing you need to get started family that's a question that shouldn't be asked of anybody
1: regardless like it's just like why are you asking somebody that yeah. like at all like
0: I think people just... panic I think people panic especially like at you know family weddings you've not seen somebody for a wee while so it's like what can we talk about yeah. oh they got married five years ago so you guys not having kids and it's like oh that'll start a conversation mm. well actually my sister is um So I have choices and she's got polycystic ovaries. And um, she's really blunt, way, way blunter than I am. And her husband's from Zambia and they were over in Zambia about a year after they got married. And um, somebody said something to her about, well, you know, you and John really need to hurry up and get on it and get started. And she just went, well, actually, I've got polycystic ovaries and uh, I don't know if I can have babies and we'll maybe have to go down IVF and it might not work. But it's not really any of your business, is it? Yes,
1: I mean, Laura.
0: I know.
3: I know. Big snaps.
0: <laughs> I know. She actually, like, I mean, the reception was terrible as well. She phoned me, she's like, Karen! Ah! And she was super lucky, and she'll say to herself, she just had to take the um, pills because basically she wasn't ovulating. Mm-hmm. She hit loads of eggs because she hardly ovulated her entire life. Mm-hmm. So she just had to get the pill that tells the brain to release the egg, mm-hmm. and she's really lucky, and she's got two babies. And it, and it happens quite quickly. Um, For for her first baby, it happened super quickly. For the second one, it was a little bit longer. But, um, yeah, just the, the people just don't think. No. But it's yes. also like, how are you at that point in your life and you've never met somebody who's had infertility issues? That's not true because there's generations of women who couldn't have kids and don't know why they couldn't have kids. Yeah. So, yeah. And it might not have been their fault. It could quite easily have been their husbands. But as you say, it's always put on the women.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's such a it's such a real thing. But it's it's this ridiculous thing that we don't talk about it. Um, <clears throat> there's um, that the, just the, the silence. There's there's a chapter in Scabby Queen about this actually. I don't know if you. I'm not there yet. Um, <clears throat> but just this idea of the. The silence around it, because when the first time I had a a miscarriage, the first time I I lost a baby, um, I, um, I was kind of struck by the fact that I had no, I had no stories to relate this to whatsoever. The only thing I could think of was the film Singles, where Kyra Sedgwick they have an accidental pregnancy, she loses it, which actually neither of them were that sure about it anyway. So it was a nice fix for them. And then she goes off to deal with it. She goes off um to be a biologist on a cruise ship or so, or a, a research ship for two years to deal with it off screen. Um and that was that. Um and that was the only one I could think of. There are no no depictions of um of, of what that's like and people do not talk about it. So nobody had told me about it either. I had no it, it it was such a strange thing to be experiencing something that you know in this world where we're all telling each other stories all the time and we're consuming so many you know stories from anything from social media to television to radio to just you know it's just other people's stories all the time to have no frame of reference for that really struck me um yeah it's a that's a weird one that i don't know why we feel we have to be silent about it. Mm-hmm. actually do you know what maybe one of the reasons we're being silent or people are silent about it is to stop people being absolute arseholes and saying well at least you know you can get pregnant but um
0: i think one of my worst ones is um <laughs> because our first IVF didn't work and then our second one did and um I was about 10 weeks when I miscarried but I knew it was coming I knew I knew from the start something wasn't right
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I kept saying something isn't right and then it was a couple of weeks in I had a bit of a bleed went to the hospital they took my blood smell numbers were really low but they were going up so they were like we'll hold out and basically for the For four weeks, I was going to the Royal to get scanned and bloods. And they were like, no, no, it's still growing. And then we got to 10 weeks and there was a sack, but no. Um, It stopped growing at seven weeks. And I remember, I actually find that harder than when I miscarried naturally. And people might, I don't know how people feel about this, but there's something with IVF because you know the egg's fertilized whereas like when you're trying naturally you've got no idea if they've met did they did did it make it in time did that wee bit of sperm get up there and meet that egg like you've just got no idea whereas miscarrying when you know it was fertilized was something really um I found that harder and then somebody said to me at one point oh but it's not really a baby so it's okay it's just an embryo and I was like I have just been kicked in yeah. the stomach like yeah. so badly. Oh my god! I'm actually like I can feel the tears coming.
2: Um. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. Um. Because yeah, you you kind of our first one we kind of named it and everything that was, foolish. Really but you, because you, you're kind of you're cheering your wee eggs on. Yeah. You know you we know, they're they're in the petri dish hanging out with the sperm for well actually we had XE um for the. But, you know they were they were in the petri dish getting bigger and how were they all doing for um you know for um a week I think it is isn't it that you're in uh,
0: um, three five days depends on what you do we five days yeah
2: and and you're cheering them on and you know the first time we had God, we named them after all the Avengers and stuff oh he's going best Captain America's the you know the triple A blah 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 blah, blah. Um, and yeah um God uh, just t- to have because yeah you've, you've invested so much in it as well Um somebody a, a doctor told me it was a, called it a chemical pregnancy said oh, it wasn't really that was that wasn't really a pregnancy that was a chemical pregnancy and I was like no no that was that was a pregnancy it said pregnant you guys told me I was pregnant I was pregnant I don't I don't care if the fact that I didn't get to a certain point for that one yeah, and, and nobody yeah, nobody tells you how long it takes as well. I mean, God, you just have to sit around. This is, this is yeah, just remember sitting around waiting for it to pass out of you. It's, it's horrible, actually, because, yeah, I remember I was holding a pal's new baby and she asked how all the IVF was going and I said, oh, I'm actually miscarrying right now. Um, and it hadn't occurred to her that that would be a state that you could be in whilst also kind of out and walking around. You know, I'd been at the hospital for three days came back and it still yeah oh man it sucks it really sucks it really sucks but
0: we do need to talk about it because if we don't the silence as you as you rightly call it stays and it becomes this thing that we as um carriers of children Mm -hmm. carry with us without any outlet and that can't be good for anything it can't be good for those that can do that, and it can't be good um for a society because we're not acknowledging everything mm-hmm. that those bodies go through and the emotional trauma that that brings with it and uh, and it's really important um and thanks very much for sharing because oh,
3: wow. thank yeah. you both for sharing
0: yeah thank you both
1: for your vulnerability and bravery and and uh
0: Open and i love chat. how my whole being is now like and now i need to change the subject and make it light again so you know <laughs> let's talk about masturbation uh, <laughs> we really should get a sponsor
1: like some vibrator or like yeah yeah that should Send be the way
2: forward. best
0: vibrator guys to us and we'll put up a poll and see if we can get
2: sponsored yep. then you'd have to stop the, the podcast and go and so now um we'd like to do a message from our sponsors um ultra buzz is uh, <laughs>
1: Kirsten, you joke, but that's the dream. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> we
3: all have our like. We all have our like vibrator speeches all ready to go. Yeah, ready. To go. <laughs> the we, we are ready. Send us those samples. We'll try them out for you. We'll re-
1: we'll review. We'll talk about
0: that. <laughs> Bye. Um, Kirsten, we're going to have to have you back on because literally, haven't covered half of what i wanted to cover with with you. What we wanted to cover, and um, I'm totally aware of time, and uh, you've got baby's coming back <laughs> to you soon <laughs> um so just before we finish up we um started asking people this question at the Edinburgh Fringe last year <laughs> that time's no Fringe. um so there is no right or wrong answer it's just what it means to you um when you hear the phrase persistent and nasty what does that trigger inspire within you
2: That's- that's why I wore my top t-shirt because I assumed that it was a I, I thought that probably she persisted but yeah I like it we're, we're kind of taking back words that have been chucked at us these days aren't we uh, by we I mean everyone who is not the patriarchy um and and owning them and yeah and, and turning them around yeah, let's be persistent and nasty about it. Can you say
0: that again. It went really oh, quiet. <laughs> so gay and I was like, I know that's going to be really good. Whatever Kirsty just <laughs> said, it's gone really
2: quiet. <laughs> in the now. I said, "Fuck yeah, let's be persistent and nasty about it." <laughs> I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> why? Why do we have to keep on being nice? Why do we? Have, I mean, I am actually a big believer in in being nice and niceness, and I think sometimes we're, you know, uh, you know sometimes it's definitely something that women are socialized into into doing and being and ways of behavior but I don't quite like nice people um but also yeah you don't have to be I'm I'm gonna say this and be the world's biggest hypocrite you don't have to be nice and apologize for you know Every everything that you say, I'm amazed that I made it through this conversation without at least twenty sorrys. So um, yeah,
0: <laughs> but it's true though because guys, the, the version of nasty for guys is um, determined and ambitious and um, full throttle, and will just do what they need to do. But for us, you dare to make a comment about
2: actual facts, mm-hmm. and you're nasty. Mm-hmm. No pal, no um
0: kirsten ennis thank you very much for joining us um everybody go by scabby queen right now mm-hmm. you will not be disappointed at all um please come back on would love you. yeah we would love to have you again yeah. love to have you again um and now we're going to attempt to, we'll link all the, uh, your website, Instagram, all of that in the description box. If there's anything in particular that you want to shout about, any links that people can find you on, say just now. Um,
2: kirsteninnis.com, I think. Fabulous. Uh, well, no, yeah, it is, it's that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, please, uh, please, please, please buy my book while it's still in hardback. Great,
0: okay, and now we have to attempt to do our sign off while
3: on Zoom we've got this we're getting we're getting better every time thank you everyone for joining us on this exciting and roller coaster of a nasty podcast (laughs) and stay Stay nasty nasty. (laughs) did we get it